Welcome back, listeners. On this episode, I spoke to costume designer Leah Katznelson about her work on White House Plumbers. What is it that sort of drew you to this this project? Well, initially, so, uh, Pete Hike and Alex Gregory um, were directors of a film. The first film I ever was the head costume designer on um, 13 years ago, I think it was. It was called The Good Old Fashioned Orgy. Um, mm-hmm. And it was a comedy that we did years ago with um, Lake Bell and Jason Sudeikis and Martin Starr. And um, it was an amazing time. It was like camp together. Um, and Pete and Alex and I had stayed in touch for years um, and remained friends. And uh, the script came my way and, um, you know, realizing that it could be an opportunity to, for us to team up again. I got to meet with David um, Mandel, our director. And, um, you know, I um, come from a background where I didn't study film. I studied architecture. Um, so a lot of my and I did it in a liberal arts background. So I spent a lot of time, my father's also a historian um, and a political scientist. So much of my upbringing was surrounded by history. Um, mm. And the research component of the work that I do is one of the things I love the most. So getting the opportunity to be in the seventies, a period that I love, um, Watergate is an element of you know a historical picture, um, you know, snapshot of our world, certainly um, coming out of the Trump era, it was uh, something that was very much, you know, in our lexicon currently. And, um, you know, it was kind of the perfect storm of all these exciting things together. Mm, I love that. And I mean, speak like with architecture, how are you sort of using that background in, um, in costume design? You know, it's funny, I, I often sort of get like that, wait, I don't understand how that ca- translates. Those two things seem very disparate, but actually um, it's a lot of the same skills. They're just on a different scale. You know, in film and television, we get to work in the close-up. So it's almost like the way interior or interior designers are um, work as well. So it's kind of layering those two things together. You work with the structure, you work with materiality, texture, scale, um, you're still building, essentially like as an architect, you're building spaces that people move through and they change their body and how they, um, you know, when you move through space, that's what architects do. They create a universe for you. And as a visual storyteller, as as a costume designer, you create a different kind of visual space for people to walk through. You know, it's um, with their imaginations in a different way. Um, Mm -hmm. So I still get to apply a lot of the other elements um, one of the things I love about the costume design work, though, is the people. Um, mm. You know, uh, the buildings are wonderful, but they don't talk to you. So, um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I very much like the collaborative element um, that gets folded in. But it really, you really do bring in a lot of the same elements. And, you know, certainly when you're designing a building or thinking about an interior structure, it's sort of the same way I think about a person and the character I'm still folding in lots of other disciplines. Like I'm thinking about art history and history and music and literature and all other layered elements to sort of inform the decisions that I make. And so I, I would do, you know, they sort of run in parallel universes, even though they seem like they might be further apart than they are. And, and my career actually started first in architecture, but then I, I moved into the art department before I became a costume designer. So I kind of moved through production in that direction. Yeah, I was I was scrolling through your IMDb page, which is always such a fascinating place. <laughs> it 
is. It's always funny. Uh, someone, and I saw that you were um, a production staff for Sex in the City. So yeah. I'm just very curious, what what did that, in, and was that probably one of your first credits, I would assume? Yes, absolutely. So um, it was the art department PA. Um, I assisted Jeremy Conway, who was wonderful. Um, I had no idea what I was doing. I, I learned every second on the day on the job. I mean, I, I had graduated from college, you know, like six months earlier, and um, I had had uh, an experience on one indie film where I was the art director, which I also, you know, sort of made up as I went along. Um, and it was amazing to be on such a, you know, I, mean, I was on the last season of the show. So it was very much a machine at that point. And most of the people there were really family who had been there for all the seasons. And I was kind of the new kid on the block. Um, but it was terrific. I got, I learned so much. I learned about how a television show operates, you know, from soup to nuts. I got to really understand how the art department works. And then certainly, you know, tangentially, you see the, the costume department. Um, during that time, I started doing some assisting for some stylists and, um, I was getting to know some other costume designers. I had worked with uh, Hilary Rosenfeld who designed Dirty Dancing when I was in college. And um, I kept sort of thinking like maybe the scope of the art department was slightly different than what I wanted and that I might want to shift into costumes. Um, so from there, I had an internship on um, Eternal Sunshine mm. and met Melissa Toth, who was the costume designer. And I ended up sort of working with her first as her uh, shopper and then as her assistant designer for many years um she became a good friend and, and a wonderful mentor to me as well so kind of moved moved in that that snake-like path yeah now I wish I could if I would ever sort of redo this podcast it would definitely just be going through the sort of oddities of people's IMDB pages because <laughs> It's like, how did you start here and then end up here? Um, so I, I just, I find it extremely fascinating, but that that's wonderful to know the story about Sex in the City and how that sort of weaved a, weaved a different pathway for you. Um, but I mean, speaking of research, obviously this is an extremely <laughs> research heavy show. So, I mean, where does one begin? I mean, really with this? You know, the starting place is what what's really interesting about this particular project is that Howard Hunt and G. Gordon Liddy and the Cubans and Bud Crow and a lot of these people, John Dean, et cetera, were known quantities that were heavily photographed after the Watergate incident transpired and they went to court and um the public took notice. Their lives prior to that were not as heavily documented. You know, these were people living their lives, some, you know, more squarely in the middle class, some slightly more elevated. There's family photos and there's a few reference things like that, but you really had to dig deeply to go beyond just, you know, the firing line interviews and the newspaper articles and, um, you know, I read everybody's books, anyone that wrote anything from that time period, I, you know, Liddy's book and um, Hunt's and anything that their families published, you know, sometimes we there were insights in the language in their writing that sort of created a visual picture. Sometimes there were descriptions about um, a person or a thing or the way they wore something. There was a note somewhere about um, how Gordon, how Liddy in, in prison, 
um, got his shirts always ironed. Um, mm. You know, and so you, you start to pick up on the nuances of these people so that the research isn't just visual, but it's layered in that way. Um, and so that starts me, you know, taking note of that this is someone who is rigid and regimented and believes in structure and hierarchy. And then the next place that that goes for me is I think about geometry and that this person lives within a world of organization and order. Um, and then how does that lend itself to his clothes? So within his aesthetic, we built in a lot of geometry. You know, patterns were symmetrical. There were hidden shapes in all of his ties. Um, mm -hmm. There is a barbed wire shirt that we had him wear as he, they're approaching um, the, the trial and mm -hmm. the sentencing. Um, so, you know, so really the starting place is the research, um, really digging deeply to try to find as much information as we can, talking to anybody that will talk to us that might know, you know, it's funny, once you start talking about Watergate and what you're working on, it, people start to say, oh, I grew up in, in DC and my father's friend was a lawyer who did da da da. And then you say like, oh, could I talk to him? Um, we were very lucky I had a, a our costume coordinator on our job had a friend of a friend who worked in DC in the government at the time and had some lovely sort of um, anecdotal stories that helped to kind of, you know, inform our choices as well. But really research is where I begin. Hmm. And I mean, what there were two things that I really didn't realize about the show until watching it. And I mean, one, the aspect that it was a satirical comedy, I did not know, which was... Yeah. It, uh, it was kind of like a, a double take moment when I when I first started the show. And my question there is, I mean, how did you infuse comedy per se into the costumes, if, if at all? You know, it's funny. We actually, with the exception of when Liddy and Hunt go to Los Angeles and try to break into Ellsberg's office and they go in disguise, um, where they're wearing leisure suits and we really lean very heavily into the 70s, you know, as, as we sort of think of it when you think of like pop culture 70s. And um, they have these sort of silly wigs and these glasses and it's, um, that's sort of the biggest comedy moment of the show. The rest of the looks that we chose throughout, it was really important for David um, that we stayed really grounded that things felt authentic, that they didn't feel caricature at all of these people or the time period, um, that even the palette, we didn't choose the brightest mustard and the brightest orange and the brightest sort of like poppy elements that we really kept things tonally realistic. Um, and so the comedy element came from the acting and the script. Um, more than it did the clothes, with the exception of that, that those LA scenes, which have humor in themselves of those two guys in those uniforms. Absolutely. And I mean, the second part, I mean, also not knowing how much of a um, an emphasis or um, an importance you were going to lay on the, the family lifestyles of these individuals. Um, I mean, how did you, how were you privy to some of the information in regards to uh, their real lives? Uh, well, you know, they both wrote books. So we, I got to read a lot about their family in that regard. Um, the the Liddy kids have a very checkered history. Um, 
some of them had their own run-ins with uh, the law. Some of them have had different, all different careers. So there's some things written about them, the Hunt kids, um, you know, surrounding the trial, there were more things and more information published about them, but they also lived somewhat more quiet lives than the Liddy family did. Um, the biggest difference was really class driven. Uh, the Liddy family is squarely a middle-class family that is truly striving. And so they're kind of more of a Sears family. And actually I should go back to the comedy element for a minute, only another thing, probably the other scene that I would think of where it wasn't intentional to be comedic, but it plays as such in a way is sort of this notion that the, the Liddy kids, when they're introduced to the Hunt family are kind of like um, the Von Trapps. Yeah. They line the staircase, they're all coordinating. Um, even uh, Fran's dress kind of coordinates with the wallpaper of the room. Like everything is sort of uh, um, a tableau of this middle-class poster family of what you might see in a Sears catalog. Um, and so there's, there's sort of a comedic element to that uh, piece of it, but really the, the class difference between those two families. So the Liddy's being middle-class and the Hunt family being more upper middle-class, you know, they're members of a country club. They come from older money. They were more affluent in the 60s. So a lot of their, their world is a little more dated for the early 70s, even though it's more moneyed. It's sort of finer things that have worn over time. And the Liddy family are newer fabrics, newer choices that look a little glossier, but are certainly not as elevated as the hunt. Yeah, no, I, I love that that scene with the with the Liddy family and just how it transitioned from sort of this poster child American family to then going into that scene with the record and um the with Hitler playing in the background it was definitely like a, a another another sort of like oh wow okay this is um definitely not what I expected yeah you're laughing but you're uncomfortable but you're laughing but you're uncomfortable it's a very yeah it's a, yeah um and so, I mean, how do you think that the costumes really played into um, the the tone of the show and um, just sort of the overall um, voice of, of what the, the story is trying to tell? I think, you know, when you're doing a period project, the visual element of the set design, the hair, the makeup, the clothes, the cars, you know, the faces of the people, that's how you sell the period. So certainly um, making those choices, the silhouettes of all of the characters, you know, the scale of the ties, the prints, the fabrics, the colors, all of that really helps land you in your story right where we are in history. Um, and then, you know, as I touched on sort of really exploring the differences in two different family structures within that time period in the DC area, both of whom have similar goal sets as, um, you know, government employees. Um, they're both striving in different ways, but their backgrounds are very different. You know, there's sort of the blue blood New England element of the Hunts, and there's the middle class element of the Liddies who are really trying to, you know, as he says in the script at one point, like Fran really knows how to make, to stretch a dollar. Um, and make it look right. And they're, they're both sort of keeping up appearances in different ways. So, um, you know, I think the clothes helped to, to articulate that story. 
And I mean, what were some of the challenges for you in regards to this project? I would say the biggest challenge was getting enough clothes. Mm. We, it was a massive, massive project. Um, there were hundreds of uh, day players and principal cast. We had thousands of extras, um, you know, dressing everybody head to toe in a, an edited way, you know, because we really were pulling back from, you know, we weren't, we had only sort of one hippie element of the seventies, which is sort of, we see a protest in DC, which is sort of the counterculture element. And two of the Hunt children really live more in the counterculture world, you know, and, and sort of fight against what their more traditional parents are. Um, a lot of that stuff is available and very regularly available you know, the, the fringe, the bell bottoms, you know, that kind of thing, that's very accessible, but suiting, ties, shirting, um, you know, women's high-end clothing from the late 60s, early 70s, um, you know, finding all of those things that feel lovely and real and are not tattered um, or worn, you know, that really can go to camera and look beautiful that was really probably the biggest challenge. I mean, we, we worked out of a, um, a warehouse space in Newburgh and we filled the entire warehouse, mm. the entire floor. I don't know how many square feet it, it was. I should probably know that I was, <laughs> I worked in architecture, but um, it was massive. I mean, we essentially acquired enough that was more or less our own rental house. You know, we had floor to ceiling, um, double hung racks, build um, both a principal side and a background side. So it was really digging in every corner. I mean, it wasn't just renting from the typical rental houses in LA or in New York and you know shopping with a lot of the vintage vendors, but it was really going deeper. It was like finding a vintage vendor who knew about a woman who was selling her estate, whose grandmother had all her you know, coats still preserved in the attic. And um, Deirdre Wagner, who was our shopper, I mean, she went to the ends of the earth every day. It was like she was in Pennsylvania. She was in Connecticut. She was driving to, um, you know, to Boston for the day. She was, it was everywhere. We were pulling from all, and we had a team in LA who were also pulling Tess Amelia and pulling and shipping for us regularly too. So it was really um, not just looking in all the usual places, but in all the unusual places, you know, borrowing someone's grandmother's jewelry and making sure we had it exactly right. It was important to us to stay really authentic as much as possible using clothing from the period. Um, we did make and manufacture quite a lot as well, just because the scope was so big. And, um, you know, sometimes just having a, a shirt to accommodate a contemporary figure wasn't available to us. So we did make a lot of things as well. I mean, we, we actually manufactured shirts as far as from Thailand, a vendor in Thailand made shirts for us as did a, an amazing vendor in New York. Um, we had a lot of suits made, we had ties made, we had shoes made, we had belts made, but it was, so it was a conglomeration of, of, of acquiring those things from all those different places. But that was certainly the biggest challenge. Hmm. And then, I mean, out of, I mean, the, sort of 300 principles and thousands of extras. I mean, what were some of your sort of favorites or standouts um, from, from what you were able to um, glean and acquire? You know, I, it, it's hard to say, cause I love so many of them, yeah. but I will say that um, 
Fran Libby working on Judy Greer's character was just so much fun because we had already sort of outlined Liddy himself when she came to work with us. We knew that there was that element of geometry and structure and um, that of anybody in our story, you know, as compared to Hunt, he was the 70s guy. You know, we had spread collars, we had more um, in your face prints. And Liddy's wife, is really a representation of him. You know, he's it very, they had very traditional roles in that house. Um, and so we wanted to have her clothes mirror that of his in terms of the geometry and architecture of it, but also could play with the color a little bit more. Um, so there was a sweetness to her, but also a, a, a sort of a in your face geometry that we had already established um, with Liddy. And, um, and also Dorothy Hunt, you know, creating all of her different looks was really special because there was a sophistication to the way that she presented herself. And even though they were no longer in a place where they were flush with funds, she did have the finer things in life, um, certainly in the 60s when they were doing, when they had more affluence. Um, and we really, I wanted to, to have her have the right Gucci bag from the late 60s, you know, that she would have these elements, these things, a long band dress, a certain whatever it might be that was exactly of the moment of 1966 or 1968, but now we're in 71. And so she hasn't acquired these new things, but the things that she does have, the Gucci shoes she is wearing, the whatever it might be, um, are representative of the image that she still wants to present. Um, and, you know, we just had a great time with Woody and Justin as well in terms of creating their looks. You know, Justin, because he had, there was more synthetics and there was more of that built into his world. You know, there was a little bit more fun pushed in that world. But with Woody, um, we played into more natural fabrics, um, more elevated fabrics. You know, there was wool and cashmere and um, things that, and, that we didn't have in Liddy's world. Um, I give them all lots of credit for wearing lots of wool and lots of cashmere. We filmed a lot in the summertime. Yeah. Um, we filmed in DC in the summertime. We, there was a lot of humidity. <laughs> Everybody, including all those extras, put on a lot of layers because you know we filmed some elements of our story which were historically happened in January, for example, and we filmed in August. Um, right. So. Yeah, being from Texas, I can. I can <laughs> it was swampy. Yeah, what, what that would have felt like. So I'm, I'm glad that I did not have to, uh, to do that. But um, yes, props to them for for taking that on. Um, and I mean, just in our final few minutes, I mean, what do you hope that audiences take away from this show? And I mean, what do you ultimately add um, to your tool belt from working on this show? I mean, I think the, the hope I, the thing I hope that the audience takes away is that these were real people, you know, that there's an element that I think that transpires historically where once it becomes news and an event takes place, um, 
you know, there's a mythology that that's around these figures and that time period and what transpired politically and so forth. But the the lovely and really interesting part about this story is not only is it funny, and some of the funniest elements are truly lifted from transcripts and really happened. Um, is that these were all real people with families who made choices that were about their real lives. Um, and you know, they were they were striving in different ways. They were motivated by different elements, but they all had children, they had partners, they were, you know, patriots in their own minds. Um, so you know, the the really interesting version of this story is since everybody knows what happens you know there's no spoiler alert about yeah. uh, wh what the story was but the really interesting part is is seeing Dorothy and um and Hunt's uh relationship the inner workings of it and how how strong she was within their marriage and the the differences with their children and having these very um Republican conservative father and these children who really pushed to the left and we're seeing something outside of that. Um, so I hope, you know, that the takeaway is really that um, they see these people as whole people and not just as a punctuated event um, and that you really get to learn about their background. Mm. Um, and in terms of my tool belt, I would say, you know, I really got to build and manufacture on mass in a way that I hadn't had an opportunity to do so before. And so um, the sourcing of materials and resources in that way, um, also making lots of vegan shoes and belts and things for Woody was really a unique experience. I hadn't done that before and learning about the, um, you know, we dug pretty deeply on, on finding fabrics and uh, even buttons that were sustainable. Um, even the thread that we used for Woody's suiting was sustainable. So a lot of our choices in that way were really interesting for me to understand, um, you know, from, uh, you know, shearing the sheep all the way to creating the garment, what goes in between and how we make really thoughtful, environmentally sustainable choices in our design work, which is something important to me anyway. Um, you know, that's great working with vintage also, just the environmental impact is very different um, where you get to really look back and reuse pieces and um, refurbish things and make them beautiful again. And, um, and anything that we were building, we were really thoughtful about the way we manufacture them. So that was a really excellent informative learning experience for me that I now have taken yeah. to all my other projects. Hmm. I, I didn't know that that was um, something that you had to deal with. So that is, I mean, that's a fantastic little um, tidbit to hear about, about that. That's amazing. Um, but Leah, I know we're right at time and I want to make sure that um, you get enough rest and that you're ready for this evening and, and all that has to and all that has to entail. So um, I really want to thank you so much for um, chatting with me today. I, I absolutely love the show and um, I love the work that you were able to do on the show. And um, I, I'm such a fan of all, I mean, so much of your filmography. So um, I'm, I'm just excited to see what's next for you and, and where, where the journey takes you. Thank you so much. It's so nice to meet you and chat with you as well. Thank you all for listening. This episode was edited and produced by me, Jackson Vickery. Graphics were done by Dylan Michael. And the opening and closing theme were done by Sterling Gavinsky.